In this instalment, I talk with Professor Leslie Chenoweth from Griffith University. Leslie's got a career looking at social work and training social workers for rural contexts. And we talk about some of the issues in social work and the challenges of professions in these contexts. One of the key things that Professor Chenoweth mentions is the idea of building trust with communities. You simply can't do your work in rural places if people don't trust you. So this relational element is clearly a distinct characteristic which is often unique or unique in its significance in the relationship with the professional. And that's something that I think has implications for how we go about developing professions in these contexts. Over to my discussion with Professor Leslie Chenoweth. One last point. In a couple of times, it gets a little bit echoey in our conversation. Now, that's just an symptomatic of the technology problems that we face in Australia, regardless of all the national broadband talk, etc. Both Leslie and I are on NBN connections. Leslie in Brisbane, myself in a smaller town in New South Wales. So it really indicates that the quality of technological connection that we have in Australia is something that we do need to keep working on, uh, hopefully. Now, that's not to say it's a real problem. You'll just hear a couple of times with a bit of echoing. I've cut out most of them anyway, but I think it reinforces the point. We assume access to technology, which we often don't have regardless of the rhetoric. Anyway, over to our conversation. So today I have Emeritus Professor Leslie Chenoweth from Griffith University, Professor in Social Work. Leslie, welcome to our conversations. Thank you very much for the invitation. Leslie, we're, we're looking at issues in the rural professions here, and your, your work in social work has had a lot to do with disability, um, communi communities and professional preparation for non-metropolitan contexts. What is social work for those that aren't familiar with that as a, an area of, of work? Well, social work is uh, one of the allied health, it's seen as an allied health profession. But essentially, social work, social workers work with um, individuals and families, and indeed whole communities, uh, in in terms of uh, helping helping people to negotiate their their lives. Um, social workers uh, really have um, more of an ecological approach, so they're very interested in people within all their social arrangements, whatever the, the context of those social arrangements are. Okay. So um, I'm, I'm, social workers get Yeah. No, go. Sorry. Um, and uh, they also um, have, have all kinds of roles in service delivery. And so they can be counsellors, they can be community workers, they can be group workers, they can work in child protection. So it's a very broad church if you like of basically a helping profession okay so when you were saying eco an ecological perspective there i, I was thinking the um i'd work with broffenbrenner and the ecological oh, yeah. development model so much very so, much so. something gets used a fair bit in early childhood education but i don't think anyone oh, in childhood would know much about it. and it's still going on mm. because it's so useful yeah yeah, yeah. So, in some of our earlier conversations, we, we've talked about some of the, uh, the social and economic challenges in rural contexts. So this, this would mean that 
social workers would be a really important community development tool in a lot of non-metropolitan areas. Yes, indeed. Um, and I think, you know, we've, through my career, we witnessed rural decline, you know, across decades now of rural communities. Some of the um, work we did in the 90s, uh, where we had drought, where we had the withdrawal of a whole lot of services from rural communities. So, uh, and, and, now, for other reasons, I think, you know, we have a lot of rural communities just recently impacted by fires and disasters. So I think um, there, there, the role for social work is, is quite important in terms of how, how do you support communities to come together and make decisions and, um, and indeed, uh, you know, really having to look to solve a lot of their own problems. That last point, having to solve a lot of their own problems, seems to be uh, aligned with the shift you mentioned in the early 90s where we saw some of this decline in, in service provision. Can you put a, put a reason, do you think, or from your experience as to why that decline has occurred? Um, well, I think, uh, oh, there's a multitude of reasons for that. But I think... Um, when there's, there, there, there's firstly, uh, you know, in the 90s, we've seen uh, firstly a centralisation of a lot of government services. That what the services that used to exist, uh, you know, you'd have um, government departments would have at least a drivable office of whatever the office the department was. I think we also saw some of those essential services like banks, Banks have totally changed how how they operate, and the the little branch in a little town they just are no more, and they have not been there for a very long time. Wow. So I think that there is there is that whole thing of withdrawal. Some of that's been about the viability. If, you know, they've applied a business model. Um, there's just not the market. They they've sort of been in those terms, and. And when those things moved, uh, a lot of the, the people who actually worked there moved. Mm. But equally, the impact of drought and other, other of those, especially the drought in the 90s, um, I mean, agricultural and rural industries were just on their knees. And so people had no money. And so, you know, the pharmacy went and the... Um, you know, little shops, etc. So, um, a lot of those things were the real fabric of rural communities that we have, you know, lost. It's just been eroded. It seems um, a theme that constantly comes up in these conversations is that that changing relationship between people, the citizens, and governance. And that seems an area for us to be to be thinking about in terms of developing communities. What are our frameworks for providing services and providing uh, support? I think one of the reference points there for that period you mentioned that I constantly come back to is um, Judith Brett's quarterly essay in 2010 around, oh, the, the, around the changing um, compact between the city and the country around this whole um, you have to pull your own weight scenario. So, uh, so it's a pretty significant shift, I think. 
So something yeah. to be looking at in terms of their ideologies and, and philosophies and how they impact on these these communities beyond the large centres where those those economic structures make more sense. Yeah, exactly. And of course, I think we also have to be mindful that not all rural communities are the same. Mm. So some rural communities have responded um, and become, you know, um, I, I can think of uh, rural towns that have become like artisan centres for uh, art. Other towns that have become... Uh, they've turned that turned their their little town into um, a place for uh, bushwalkers. Or I mean, there's some here in the Brisbane Valley that are booming with people wanting to hike and cycle the Brisbane Valley Rail Trail. So mm. we've got a, a, a surplus of cafes and Airbnbs and places to stay along these little towns. So that's. You know, so but a lot of the, those sorts of places, though, I feel are still pretty close to the larger metropolitan centres. Um, I mean, I may be wrong, but that's my hunch about that. No, I, I, do, I think I'd agree with that. We, we talked a bit about um, different ways we define the rural and rural towns, and I think a lot of those you know, more uh, culturally orientated towns are like satellites of larger centres or satellites of the city. They're, they're a day trip away or an easy, easy destination for a cultural enrichment, so. Yes, yeah. yes, indeed. Um, so. And, yeah, go on. Uh, so re re returning to social, to social work, what are some of the, the issues with attracting and retaining social workers in regional communities? Well, we've, done, uh, my colleague Danny Stellick and I, and indeed from Corliffe, we've done a number of studies around this very issue because uh, it, it's been a real crisis. Well, how do you get doctors? How do you get social workers? Mm. How do you actually deliver really key services to rural communities, health and community services? So, um, and look, there, there's a range of factors. First is that a lot of graduates, they just don't want to go to the bush. They, mm. they, you know, they're very... And indeed, some who've come from regional centres, they don't want to necessarily go and work in what they would call the bush. I mean, I, I can recall um, students thinking... Um, going to Bundaberg would be a rural placement um, when, in fact, you know, Bundaberg's got over 20,000 people and, um, yes. so, and very much on the coast. So I think that's yeah. there's a mindset about, oh, that's the kiss of death to your career. Mm. I think the other things are that for, for a practitioner to go and work there, um, they need to um, uh, to think about a lot of well, or a lot of them. If they have families, they have to think about the family. So, will there be a job for my partner? Um, where will my kids go to school? Uh, and a lot of our work it, talking to these practitioners, particularly those who had children and lived in the community. Um, there were all these tensions around um, confidentiality, anonymity of the client. So if you're working in a child protection context or 
mental health and every, the whole town will know um, whose cars parked outside the office or and indeed some of those are very especially in statutory kind of roles like child protection where you might um, you know have to um, make a notification of the children of a family where the father's the mechanic who fixes your car that's mm. the only mechanic got access to all those kinds of scenario so I think what we found was in those instances a lot of the time those people kind of managed many of them sent their children to boarding school mm -hmm. uh, they put that as, as important others kind of formed their own little community so there'd be the teachers the social workers the mental health worker um, and yeah that um, they formed a kind of network and they'd socialise in other places. Some mm. of them talked about yeah, going and, um, no, we drive to such and such and go to the pub there because if the locals see us at the pub, they'll make all kinds of assumptions about yeah. them as people. Mm. It's an interesting one, isn't it? Because there's, there's that... Reference there, I can hear two sort of themes coming through, and one being around the the economic base to provide the services, which means we can focus on developing communities to then provide services. But the other one is that that social imaginary that comes with the rural, the kiss of death, being yes. being miles away. I think even oh, yeah. that one that one about the sort of you know the the kiss of death going to Bundaberg is like uh, rather ironic, isn't it? Because a lot of people use the rural as well as a career progression and acceleration tool. So a lot, yeah, of, a lot of younger people in leadership roles. So it works inversely. It's quite bizarre. Absolutely. And so, um, and we have, there is a group of, of people who do see that because going and working in a rural agency or centre, you get to do a bit of, and, and it does accelerate leadership. And, uh, and it's what we tried to do working with, you know, depart child protection departments, etc., was to spell out those incentives to people uh, as a way of recruiting. Hmm. Um, we, we certainly, my yeah, colleague so, and I, did some work on, on leadership yeah. in schools and we can certainly see, at least in the data, a, a subset of people yeah. who have a specific rural career and who have used yeah. it and others who have jumped in and out to get the next step of their promotion. Yes. So it's quite an interesting yes. phenomena. It is. And, uh, you know, we would um, see that as well. Um, you know, I think in our, we developed, a, I think um, it's coming out in your book, this typology. We were trying to mm. sort of distill, well, who are rural practitioners? And, you know, there were those midterm career movers who came in and went out. And I mean, they're really good recruits because they know rural work. They know yeah. the issues in rural practice. And, um, and they've usually got good skills. You know, they're not a raw new graduate. Yeah. Often need a lot of support. I think that, that, that social imaginary one, which comes up in both how we define the rural and then impacts how people uh, perceive the opportunities to move there is, is a challenging one to overcome. It's like changing that, that popular culture around what rural is and there are some stories about it being a, you know, a lovely close-knit community where you can make those connections and others about where it's 
too close and, and, and too too small and too different. So I think I hear that in the story you're saying there about um, socialising or, or knowing the community. In my early days teaching, you know, we experienced all of those things. We had you know, northwestern New South Wales town where literally all the government employees from health, fireys, social services, etc., lived in one street. Now that probably wasn't good for community yes, integration. Yeah. Yes, yeah. And then other no, times people would just travel. Yeah, other times people would travel together to the pub or etc., which sort of created, while well, a sense of bonding for them, a sense of separation to the community as well. Exactly. Exactly. Yep. We found exactly that. You know, in um, I, I, want, I wonder about that one too about um, going to another town. So we used to that used to happen. We were encouraged to, you know. To drive share and go away for the weekend or or a night to a nearby town but equally you know, going to a local establishment or participating in local events was seen as a positive by the community as well as long as within obvious reason so it's sort of like sometimes works against integration because you get to know the people in the community yes and i think it also depends on the profession like um we did another study of um it was just music, just music. It was police, social workers, mental health workers, etc. And um, the police talked there because they, they had the other white responses. Well, the police wrote novels. If that, I thought it would be they would, you know, have very little right in terms of qualitative open-ended response. They wrote volumes. And one of the things that came from that was police see going to the local sporting event, going to the pub, they, they seem to think that was really important mm. uh, to, to get, get that presence in the community. Yeah, yeah I, certainly that was my experience um, as a teacher was being part of things was part of what enabled me to do my work much easier and have a greater connection. But uh, yeah. seemed to seem to be somewhat frowned upon yeah. as well. It was like it didn't seem to make any sense to me, you know. But you've got it with that comes yeah. a, comes the notion that well, in some ways while I'm relaxing, I'm still on duty twenty four seven. So I might be talking to the, the father or mother of a child on you know, at an evening at an establishment, but I'm still part of the community as well. It's like this this whole new role definition. That's right, and 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 that's a tricky thing to negotiate. Um, yeah. If you're, you know, moving and working, moving to a rural community or work, is how how do you get that balance? Because um, and that whole thing then, that being working twenty four seven, that we found that particularly strong with health uh, staff, health mm. people. Okay, you're just saying about about your research with police. Um, yes, and how they would really make an effort to do things in the community, be part of the community. But the, um, and how tricky it is for different kinds of professions to negotiate that being part of the community, but also maybe having a, a statutory or a law enforcement role. And you mentioned, uh, you know, you feel like you're working 24 seven. Well, a lot of doctors who ha have made the decision to, you know, have a general practice in a small town, they talk about that a lot. They, I, I mean, I remember um, talking to one a GP um, 
And I mean, he, he worked in this town for, I don't know, seven, 10 years. And he said, you just can't get away. You cannot get away because no. everyone wants you or needs you. You know, he, he yeah. talked about um, this interesting example. In the middle of the night, the phone rang. There's an elderly woman, you know, on a farm, a few, few k's out of town. And she said, oh, doctor, doctor, we need you, we need you. And he got in the car and he drove all the way out because he knew these were his patients. Yeah. And her husband had fallen out of bed. Yeah. He was fine. He'd fallen out of bed. She said, I, I rang you, doctor, because I knew you'd come. Yeah. So incredible. No, and, and maybe no one else would have in time or, you know, he would have lay on the floor all the time. But the doctor came. And then they get really exhausted and burned out. Yeah, um, both emotionally and physically. Yeah, yes, yeah, really. Um, but have better, I think we've got better strategies now around, um, you know, having people have uh, extra leave entitlements so people can get away. The issue is getting the backfill in. If, if, Someone's going away. Who comes back? Particularly yeah. in, in the allied health professions that you're you're referring to, there that that yeah. community connection is and trust is really important, though, for service provision, as I understand it. Very so, so. So backfilling is is somewhat problematic too. It's more like holding the fort. Yes, absolutely, and. And when people first come to work in rural communities, like you've got to earn the trust, you've got to earn their respect. Um, and GPs talk about this all the time, you know. Um, I used to, I used to, I mean, I worked in community health in the seventies in central Queensland, and I can remember that the doctor at Mount Morgan, he was the hospital employee, but he had the right of private practice, and he said, you know. Ah, oh, the first two weeks I came here, everyone in town come to see me, and they didn't have, they weren't necessarily sick. They were coming to check him out, yep. and he was from Ireland. He'd never experienced anything like. <laughs> yeah, that's sort of very similar um, experience to, again, to the educators. I'm more familiar with. So, yep. Yeah, you're doing your job, but once you stay for a certain period of time, in some of these communities where there's high turnover. If you sort of yep. if you come back on the next Monday after the school holidays, everything changes. <laughs> That's right. Oh, you are hit your back. <laughs> yeah. So how, and especially if you're there over the holidays, which is a rarer occasion. It's uh, yeah. how um. So this gaining trust. How do how do we teach people and prepare them to to undertake that gaining trust process? Um. Well, I think um. I think that it's important uh, as a new arrival, say, um, you know, good professional practice never is never, never goes astray. So I think, you know, being very clear about, um, uh, you know, your role, etc. But I think it's also uh, that it, it is engaging with the community, you know, go to the local supermarket, go to the, when you first, so you, you, you know, and, and indicate, you know, your commitment, I guess. Um, I think sometimes joining a sporting club is a really good, because uh, they're always desperate for players, whatever, oh, yeah. no matter how bad you are. 
So, you know, that's, that's an end. But I think also um, uh, what we've tried to teach our students who, who in preparing them, we, we developed a preparation for rural practice uh, program for our social work students is having very clear communication and being very clear with people what you can uh, talk about uh, in the community and what you can't. Mm -hmm. So, um, because often, uh, you know, the social work will be in the line at, at the little food store and someone will come up and want to talk about a case or someone. And I think though the, it, it's just having to be really clear about yeah. those um, communications, yeah. Yeah, it's like, like, it's like that group of teachers going off together. Don't talk about students in front of other parents. <laughs> no, 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 no. It goes very quick around small communities. Yeah, yeah it does. It does indeed. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, it's interesting, isn't it? Because you would think in one, one degree of logic, given the sort of the, um, the input-output approach of the current philosophies, that if the service mm -hmm. is there, people would access it because of its service and then move on. What's coming, what comes through clearer again and again is that, well, it's not about just having the service. It's about having exactly, as you say, the trust that the service will, will be responsive and understand me in my context. It's not just me going in to, to get, a, get a particular outcome. Yes, exactly. And that, I mean, that's why I think it's so, so important to come back to that ecological Kind of framework. It's it's understanding people in their communities and that whole complexity and array of different relationships and um, which make up a whole community. So um, it's yeah. I think I think you. It, that's why an input output model is is very tricky yeah. in, in at a community level. Very I think tricky. I think that's the um, the number one policy challenge that we, we probably have before us in the rural sector, broadly speaking as well, is finding a way to, to, to work with and evolve that dominant approach. Yeah, and it's kind of a lot of this was driven by managerialism and um, neoliberal ideologies and policies that's been going on for decades now hmm. with this view. And, and, and now increasingly they just need Community services in a market framework. I mean, we're seeing this with the NDIS, the National Disability, that, you know, you, you, you are these disabilities, this is your package of money, and you go purchase what you need. And that, 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 that totally does not take into account all those informal relationships that a person has, it assumes that it's very transactional. When in fact, um, helping people through difficulties or getting on to live with their live their lives or um, <clears throat> facing mental health issues, it requires a, a, a range of supports around a person and indeed the whole community. It does so, indeed. Uh, yeah. So I, I mean. I have um, great concern about the marketization of community and human services and where will that go? I think that's a, that's a common theme that's been, been coming up in our, in our discussions. 
Leslie, I might, um, I might thank you for your time. I've taken enough of your time this morning. So thank you very much for joining us for a conversation around the social work in, uh, in rural areas and the issues related there. Much to appreciate your, your time today. Thank you very much. And that is where I'll leave you for this episode. Our next episode, we'll be talking with Michelle Lincoln from the University of Canberra about rural health.